Hello and welcome to the City Club of Cleveland, where we are devoted to conversations of consequence that help democracy thrive. I'm Dan Maltrip. I'm the chief executive here. I'm a proud member. It's Wednesday, October 13th, here with the Virtual City Club Forum. And today we're talking with Cleveland mayoral candidate Justin Bibb. We're less than three weeks away from Election Day here in Cleveland. And over the last many months, the City Club has spoken with all of the Cleveland mayoral candidates in one-on-one -on -one conversations. And then in September, voters in the primary election narrowed it down to uh, two candidates, Mr. Bibb and Mr. Kelly, Cleveland City Council President. Just two days ago, the candidates had a chance to go head to head in the Cleveland mayoral debate, which we hosted in partnership with Ideastream Public Media. And now, today and tomorrow, it's time to hear directly from the candidates one last time before Clevelanders cast their votes on November 2nd. And yes, I know that early voting has already begun, but we're doing this anyway because there's a whole lot of people who have not yet voted. And according to a recent poll, roughly 40% are undecided. We've invited both back to the City Club this week. I said that already, and today we're, we're hearing from Justin Bibb. Tomorrow is Kevin Kelly. And over the last 15 years, Justin Bibb has worked at the intersection of government, business, and the nonprofit sector as an executive and nonprofit leader. Way back when he interned for then U.S. Senator Barack Obama, served as a special assistant for the Cuyahoga County Executive, served as head of the Global Cities Practice at Gallup, and vice president for Key Bank. And he is currently strategy officer at Urban Nova, where he advises city leaders around the country on planning, economic and community development, and other issues. He's one of two people who might become the next mayor of Cleveland. Well, one of them will. Last time we spoke with Justin, it was February of this year. He had just announced his campaign for mayor. And in our conversation then, we discussed some of the issues Cleveland is facing, the digital divide, high poverty rates, justice reform, the health of downtown Cleveland, to name a few issues. After winning the primary race and after his appearance at our debate, it's time for follow-ups. Our goal here today and tomorrow is to get past the talking points and to get off script a little bit, and not just to hear ideas, but to hear the plan to actually execute on those ideas. If you have a question, text us 330-541-5794. That's 330-541-5794, numbers on the screen. You can also tweet your question at the City Club and we'll work it in. Special welcome is in order too for members of the Western Reserve chapter of the Lynx Incorporated who are a community partner for our forums both today and tomorrow. Justin Bibb, welcome back to the City Club of Cleveland. Thanks, Dan, happy to be back. It is great to have you. Um, I was noticing on Twitter earlier today that you have um, a forum with the Urban League coming up tonight yeah. and it struck me that this calendar, uh, this campaign calendar is relentless. It's brutal, brother. It is brutal, but uh, we're doing the hard work to win this thing. I hear you. I hear you. Is there, has, have there been any, I know that some of these forums and these, these candidate forums that you and, and Council President Kelly are doing can be a little bit repetitive, but have there, any, have there been any that have really stood out to you as really important moments where you learned something or, or were presented mm -hmm. with a question that, um, that you hadn't heard before? You know, I think the biggest thing I've learned in these forums is um, how to keep your composure <laughs> when, you, when your opponent might say something that's ridiculous uh, because someone's always watching, right? Uh, and how I carry myself in every form uh, should give voters an indication of how I'm going to lead the city. Uh, mm -hmm. So I don't think there's been one form that's kind of caught me off guard, but mm -hmm. I've had a lot of moments where I had to make sure I keep my composure when I didn't want to sometimes. 
if I'm being brutally honest. <laughs> I appreciate your honesty. I mean, that's yeah. kind of what we're after. Yeah. Today. yeah. Um, the, you know, one of the things that has come up, and there was a, a, a piece that, uh, that was pretty widely circulated over the last 24 hours that Mark Namick did at WKYC yeah. about your resume, essentially. And um, you and I were talking about it just before this and kind of agreed that it's a um, it's a, an accurate yeah. an accurate piece and you were quoted accurately in it. Um, the, the question that comes up, I guess, sometimes is like in that resume, which isn't all that dissimilar to a lot of people of your generation, right, who mm-hmm. move around a lot just because of the way the job market is and the way um, I mean, whatever. I mean, I, I've had a gazillion jobs in the course of my life. Um, but what is it? in your resume that you think uniquely prepares you for the job? I think there are a couple of things. Um, I think one, I've had exposure early on at working at some of the highest levels of every sector in this country. Um, Although I was just a Senate intern for Obama when he was in the US Senate, I learned a lot about what good leadership looks like and how to run a good staffing office uh, in government office. Um, at 21, I was an associate partner at the global research consulting firm Gallup. And um, my uh, my boss, uh, the chairman and CEO, Jim Clifton, told me to try to build a million dollar business in a year. And I had no idea on how to start a business, but I did it right um, with no real business plan. Um, and when I came back home to work for the first county executive, it was my first real crash course in working in local government. And I was this bright eyed uh, 23, year, 23 year old kid from DC who thought that uh, I knew everything about education policy. And a member of county council uh, said to me, look, I don't care about your ideas, what's in it for me? And that's when I really learned that politics and change is really about relationship building regardless how smart you are. It's um, also very transactional. Yeah, yeah. Question, right? What's in it for me? Exactly. And um, and I also learned, I think, the importance of owning my own career destiny, right? I am not ashamed of the work I've done. I'm not ashamed of my resume. I embrace it. Um, you know, Namig brought up a, a brief stint I had at the National Conference on Citizenship uh, for about five months. And the reason I came home as well was my dad was really sick and, um, being able to work with the County government, but also being home with my dad and, uh, be with him in his formative years before he passed away was, um, something I don't regret. Life happens. Uh, but in every job I've had, uh, I've had significant responsibility, a significant exposure and made significant impact and change. And I think the biggest thing folks want in a leader, regardless mm-hmm. of its mayor, or council or president or member of Congress, they want a leader who can listen. They want a leader who can admit when they're wrong. They want a leader who's transparent and they want someone that they can relate to and that understands their pain. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think my, not only my professional career, but my, my lived experience and life experience uh, makes me well suited to uh, not only run the city, but also lead the city with the right empathy. I think we need um, moving forward in this community. You know, you know, I've been soliciting questions from the community on Twitter for the last yeah. week or so, and um, there's a related question that that about this. And I know you've had conversations with Mayor White and Mayor Campbell, both of whom have endorsed you. 
about the work, what the work actually is. So you probably have a, a better sense of it than uh, than say other candidates in the primary who would never who haven't served before or than I do for that matter. Um, but the question that, that a community member asked was, what are you most worried about? Like, what is the part of the job that you think you might find most challenging? You know, Dan, uh, one of the things that um, keeps me up at night about the job is how do I find the emotional capacity and vulnerability and empathy to console a mother who's lost their child to gun violence? And how do you build that internal reservoir when that happens day after day after day after day? And then how do you compartmentalize that experience and go and pitch the city in a corporate boardroom the following hour? Right. Um, but that's really been my life in many cases. Right. I mean, um, growing up where I grew up, I always had to navigate multiple worlds. Right. Black, white, poor, rich, um, east side, west side. And oh, like code switching. Uh, yeah. And that's real, right? And but how do you do it in a way where you don't where you don't lose your authentic self? Mm -hmm. Um, and um that I think that's why my faith is so important. That's why staying grounded with my family and friends is so important. Mm -hmm. Uh, because some moments it's gonna be hard to do that. But as mayor, I gotta find that that resilience when sometimes I might not have it. Mm -hmm. Where do you go to church? Uh, I've been a, a proud member of Olivet Institutional Baptist Church for over 10 years now. Mm -hmm. Reverend Colvin, one of my spiritual mentors. Mm -hmm. um, the, the question came up during the debate about the um, about issue 24. Yeah. I want to get into a big conversation about issue 24. We're doing a debate on that actually on the 22nd. Oh, so great. for, for our, our audience right now, you should be sure to join us. You can join us in person here in this very room. Um, but uh, but the question that Nick Castell posed to you was kind of you, you've supported issue 24. You're very vocal about that. And the police force is very has been very sort of, you know, equally adamant about its opposition which sets up, if you become mayor, it sets up a kind of a fault line there for you to manage the police force that uh, is disagreeing with you on a fundamentally important issue, a fundamentally central issue here. How will you get past that fault line and build the bridge? Um, everyone knows in this campaign that I'm a son of a cop, right? So I want to belabor that point. But I think it's important because I know what's at risk here with this decision. And I also know the importance of it. Um, the officers I've talked to in our department tell me a couple of things. Number one, they want fairness, right? They want fairness with a police chief that's gonna promote based on merit, mm -hmm. not based on who you know or what's politically uh, convenient. Um, our officers wanna be fairly compensated so we got to pay them more to make sure that we have an attractive department. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, um, officers want discipline that is just, equal, and fair. Uh, and this commission uh, gives that accountability and fairness, not just to protect uh, that fairness internally inside a department, but to protect residents. What's dangerous to me is the fact that 
You know, we spent over 30 million over the last 10 years selling police misconduct claims. What's dangerous to me is um, when we call accountability a buzzword, right? Um, we recognize, and many officers will tell you this, that the police can't continue to police themselves. Mm -hmm. And when I'm knocking on doors in this city, and I've talked to many residents, particularly in the east side, they say in some cases they are scared to call the police. Number one, because they don't show up when they when they want them to show up mm -hmm. because they don't trust them. Right. Well, that was a question that came up in the primary. Yeah. debate. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And so I believe that trust and equal justice is the fundamental building block. We need to have safe and secure communities and neighborhoods in the city. Mm -hmm. And I'm willing to fight for more accountability uh, and more teeth in our civilian review board and police commission so we can root out racism, root out bias and give our officers the tools they need to show up and do good police work. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm committed to doing. Mm -hmm. I want to work with the union on this. I want to work with law enforcement. I want to work with our activists uh, and labor partners as well. Everyone should have a seat at the table, especially those that have been victimized by police. Mm -hmm. um, you, um, you, you mentioned accountability as a buzzword. You were alluding to uh, what Kevin Kelly said yeah. in the debate. He referred to buzzwords and and so forth and in, in kind of his state explaining his opposition to issue 24 um, in that debate and in that exchange that that many of our audience members may have actually either heard in the debate or heard this morning on the after jackson podcast good friend nick castell who moderated the debate um, you you said that you 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 said that the council president doesn't believe in democracy what did you mean by that I think his actions speak for themselves. Um, Whose actions? Number one, when uh, over 20,000 folks mobilized to get uh, their petition signed to vote on the Quicken Loans deal, um, he denied their petitions. My pastor went to the council's office and the council president sat there with a large cup of soda and said, we aren't going to accept these petitions. Um, and that's visibly clear. Minimum wage happens. Folks all across this community knocked on doors to get the ability to vote on a $15 minimum wage. And regardless if you agree with the merit of the policy, uh, this council president worked with Republican lobbyists and denied the ability to vote on a minimum wage in Cleveland. And just recently, you had amazing activists across this community like Paula Camp and it's her birthday today. So happy birthday, Paula. Paula Camp, Nora Kelly, uh, Jessica Trevisano, uh, Latanya Goldsby and others who wanted to put public comment in City Hall uh, for the first time in nearly 100 years. City Council. And we, yeah. yeah. And we barely got public comment. We had to fight to get a real robust public comment period inside uh, City Council. And so those actions make me believe that uh, my opponent does not believe in the power and the importance of resident voice and recognizing uh, the will of the people. And so when you when people ask me, Justin, why don't people show up and vote in a marriage race? Why don't people show up and vote in downturn? Down, I'm glad you're bringing that up. That's, a, that's another question that, that one of our one of our audience members, our community members offer. You know, the reason why is we don't just have voter suppression in this state because of Republican uh, politicians and uh, Columbus, we have a voter depression because people in Cleveland 
don't believe in the importance of resident voice. They believe that they alone have the answers. Let's talk about the Let's Save Coalition uh, and you know the work that Clash did to finally get our city government to tackle the lead paint crisis in the city. Again, activist-led efforts have been stirring the consciousness of this city of the city for a long time. Not not career politicians, in my opinion. The um, you know just to continue on the with some of what came up in the debate and and your critique, implicit and explicit critique of Council President Kevin Kelly. Um, you said during the debate that you want to treat as mayor, you would treat council as a co-equal branch of government. The implication that I heard there the, uh, was that um, it is not currently a co-equal branch of government. Did I understand that correctly? Yeah, um, it, it's not treated as such. Uh, let me tell you why I believe that. Um, one, I've talked to so many members of council and I will not disclose their names, uh, but um, they feel left in the dark. Um, many feel frustrated that uh, they were let known at the last minute about the recent progressive field renovation deal. Many were left in the dark about the fact that for nearly two years we weren't recycling in the city. Um, you know, and this administration has stonewalled council on so many issues. You know, council um, councilman Kerry McCormick had to threaten to sue uh, the mayor's office to get certain records or get certain legislation executed inside city government. We have to make sure that members of council know what's happening before it becomes public. Uh, they have to have input on what our governing agenda and vision is in the city. And I think one of the things I can do as mayor is, is to do a better job of connecting my cabinet, my administration, into the neighborhoods, members of council, so they can have a better pulse of making sure we can better connect resources and information to our neighborhoods. Because the issue we have right now is our local government is so outdated in many ways and unresponsive that members of council have to have to be, do the mayor's job as well as be a legislator, right? And they don't have the time to do a lot of the policy making they would want to do, like you see in other cities across the country. That's why I'm a big believer in exploring having members being at large at city council. Um, so you can get more robust policy making between the executive branch um, and the legislative branch inside city government. I think what you're saying about what city council members do and my experience with council members with whom I've spoken to spoken about this is that they spend so much time on constituent service, mm -hmm. basic one on one constituent service. You know, a, a tenant in, you know, needs help with with their a dispute with their landlord or there's a, a chuckle on their street or a light is out or the garbage hasn't been picked up or a building permit is needed for a small business owner that they can't get up and look around and see exactly. your issue. Is that what you're, is that what you're trying to say? Exactly. And I think the city would be better served if council had more time to do that long-term visioning and policymaking mm -hmm. in conjunction with the mayor's office. Right. I think that would make us a more robust city long-term. Mm -hmm. um, let's get into some policy stuff. Yeah. In the debate, you said that you wanted to create an endowment to, to deal with lead um, 
And um, and it wasn't entirely there wasn't enough time for you to really yeah. explain what you meant. So could you explain what you lead yeah. poisoning, uh-huh. lead poisoning uh-huh. rate, as I think all of our audience knows, is is unconscionably uh, unconscionable. It's just an unconscionable rate right now, and is one of the highest in the nation. Yeah, um, I was alluding to the recommendation uh, that was made by Councilwoman uh, Jenny Spencer and Councilman Kerry McCormick that uh, we should allocate, I believe, seventeen to twenty million dollars. Uh, from the American Rescue Plan uh, to support the Lead Safe Coalition and fully funding um, the endowment that would eradicate lead paint over You're talking time. about the, the Lead Safe Home Fund? Mm-hmm. Yep. So there's currently, according to uh, Rachel DeSalle, who um, is a reporter in town, does a lot of work with the Cleveland mm-hmm. Documenters and, and other projects, um, there's currently millions in that fund that is being unused. Yeah. Residents aren't tapping into it yet. Do we know why that is and what needs to be done in order to remediate the problem? Yeah. um, Let me tell you what I've heard. Um, One, our building and housing department uh, needs better staffing uh, and more connectivity with some of our grassroots community based partners to identify uh, better ways to remediate these homes that have led. The other thing that I've, I've heard is the the grant programs um, that could exist don't exist that could support uh, those landlords that probably can't afford to remediate their homes as well. And this is where I think having some of our banking partners around the table could could support us long term in a more effective way. And then thirdly, um, information, information, information. Um, I know that the Lead Safe Coalition has done some great work to put more community members on the street to knock on doors and talk to residents about uh, remediating these homes and getting up to code. Uh, But we need to double down on that work and and make sure that residents know the importance of this and how how the city government can support them in in doing it. Thanks for explaining that. Um, The another policy question has to do with um, systemic structural racism. Mm -hmm. Um, And in the uh, letter Dear Mayor series that the Center for Community Solutions put out. Um, one of the staffers, solution staffers, who's also a resident, Lauren Anthes, uh, also a City Club member, by the way. Um, also one of the smartest minds on, on public health policy in Cleveland. Uh, public, yeah, health policy is he's incredible. But he talked about in his letter, I'm, I'm not going to quote it, but I'm just going to kind of discuss what he talked about redlining, the connection between equity, historic redlining, HOLC maps. Um, poverty and the health outcomes that we currently see. Um, eliminating structural racism is an imperative for both campaigns. It's mm-hmm. an imperative for the community. Uh, racism was declared a public health crisis last year by the city, by city council. Um, the question really is, what exactly are you going to do about it? Mm-hmm. And how will you measure your success? Like, what are the metrics you're going to look at? How will you know that you've made a difference? Well, let's look internally and then let's talk about externally for a second. I mentioned this in in the debate. Um, I want to operationalize a racial equity framework inside my administration. That's why I want to have a cabinet position with staff decked against that cabinet position around racial equity that works across every department to make sure that we don't further exacerbate racism and inequity in the city, but that we can be um, more progressive and more forward looking on what tools can we, and policies can we create inside city government to 
eradicate structural racism. Um, externally, there are a couple of things I want to do. One, um, I've advocated for um, not only taking this $512 million that we're getting from President Biden um, and leveraging that capital uh, to a couple of billion, but a large share of that money should be spent on direct neighborhood investments, particularly in the east side of the city, where we've seen a hollowing out of our black population and the black middle class has been decimated. I mean, housing values have been depressed on the east side. Most of them have not recovered since the Great Recession in 2008. And I believe uh, between the Great Recession and 2018, we raised about $10 billion of private capital to bring back downtown and parts of the west side. I believe over the next decade, we should try to raise at least $5 billion to bring back the east side as a starting point. And that's an aggressive goal, right? Um, because until you see real economic opportunity in Lee Harvard, Mount Pleasant, and Buckeye, then I don't think long term we will be a city that reaches full potential. And supporting black the black middle class, supporting black home ownership, support and supporting black businesses is essential to that. And as mayor, I want to try to use every tool in, inside City Hall and use the bully pulpit of the office to do that long term. The metrics we should look at a decrease in the infant mortality rate we see among black children in the city, a decrease in black child poverty, an increase in um, not only high school graduation, but the employment prospects that um, black and brown people have in the city once they graduate from CMSD. And this gets me really excited because as you know, Dan, we are moving towards being a majority minority nation over the next uh, couple of decades. And Cleveland is a majority black city. And, you know, um, the promise of our city is rooted in the promise of how black Clevelanders feel in this city. And if black people are succeeding in Cleveland, everybody can win, in my opinion. And I truly believe that. You know, that um, it's as you were saying that, I was reminded of the the Bloomberg story that I just mm -hmm. read this morning that covered yeah. the that's covering the race that opens with a woman who has relocated, returned to Cleveland from Atlanta. Yeah. And she's like scratching her head like, what? What Don't is going on here? <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, um, you know, we get these comparisons of should we be like Pittsburgh sure. or Indianapolis? And um, I think Atlanta is a good North Star for us. Um, I mean, and they're great models to look at, but we have so much work to do to catch up to the rest of the country and the rest of the world. And we can't afford to to do this in a piecemeal approach, in my opinion. That's one of the big reasons why I got in this race. I want to get to questions uh, that are coming in right now and remind you that if you have a question for Justin Bibb, he could be the next mayor of the city of Cleveland. And of course, that's not important, not only important to the city of Cleveland, but to the entire region. So everybody's invited to um, to ask a question. I don't get to vote in this race because um, I live in Shaker Heights, but um, but God, it's such a privilege to be able to, to do these conversations with you guys and provide a platform for these, for these questions, for these answers, for you to connect Justin with constituents and stakeholders. Yeah. If you'd like to text a question, it's 330-541-5794, 330-541-5794. If you want to tweet, tweet it at the city club and we'll work it in. One of, one of the questions that came in from our community partners at the uh, at the Western Reserve chapter of the Links Incorporated um, 
we understand that there are gas stations that remain open 24 hours a day, corner stores there as well, where illegal mm -hmm. drugs are being sold. We believe that this kind of illegal activity perpetuates gun violence in the central neighborhood. What will you do in your first 100 days in office to address the violence and safety issues specifically in central? Mm. Um, one of the biggest challenges that I've recognized in this campaign around gun violence and violence in general um, is as a city, we don't have a comprehensive community safety plan. Um, just last week, I was talking to uh, Jeff Scott, who runs a Boys and Girls Club, and um, and he mentioned this to me that, you know, he really he experienced about nine shootings in just a week uh, with kids all under the age, I believe, of 18. Um, and, you know, the Peacemakers Alliance is doing their thing in, in silos. Um, Boys and Girls Club is doing their thing. City Hall is doing their thing. And we don't talk enough about how we need to have a more comprehensive community plan around public safety. And uh, in my first 100 days, I want to make sure I'm bringing those voices around the table in order to enact that. Secondly, I talked a lot about this throughout the campaign, redeploying our officers more in an effective way. So they're visible, walking the beat, not just in their cars, but doing foot patrols, talking to residents. And again, that's why issue 24 is so important so that residents can trust the police when they're walking in the street and they feel like they're a part of the solution, not a part of the problem. And then the other big thing we see in this city is the trafficking of illegal guns. Um, uh, right now, Cleveland is one of the only cities, I believe in the state, that is not a part of the Ohio Safety Gun Consortium. I intend to join that in my first 100 days as mayor, something that GCC has called for that I completely agree with. Uh, we got to work more with the Ohio Mayor's Alliance, which I intend to join as mayor of Cleveland to make sure. Know, we hold on a second. Do you know why that is? Like, why isn't I have no idea. I have no idea. I have no idea. I have no idea. Um, and this is a body looking at innovative ways for cities to crack down on the trafficking of illegal guns in the city. Mm -hmm. um, and the Ohio Mayor's Alliance could, could be leveraged as well to put more pressure on our governor and state legislature to give cities like Cleveland more legal authority to, to, to crack down on the trafficking of illegal guns. And then um, I intend to work aggressively with the next U.S. attorney as well to make sure we can prosecute those who traffic or use illegal guns in the city to the full extent of the law. But broadly speaking, though, Dan. Um, How about specifically I'm, speaking, first hundred days, central yeah, neighborhood? Yeah. Well, and, and central specifically, yeah. more robust funding for after school programs in that neighborhood. Mm -hmm. um, I was I was in uh, central a couple of weeks ago uh, talking to a community activist and he said the pool was barely open uh, near the outweigh housing projects last summer. And this is an amazing Olympic sized pool. Uh, you go to the Lonnie Burton Recreation Center. We need more active programming there. Um, the our children need stuff to do. Why, we have these facilities. Why is it? What's the what's the disconnect? No connectivity. No connectivity. No accountability, and 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 no real I think responsiveness to the needs of what our children want. And this is why having youth from the neighborhood talking to me as mayor and my team about, about what they want to see in those rec centers is so important because I can't make up ideas from my Aubrey Tower at, at 601 Lakeside Avenue thinking that that's going to be the solution. You know, I was at Kenneth Clement Academy uh, several weeks ago 
And you know what the biggest after-school program kids wanted there? Gaming and coding. Sure. So let's, I mean, I mean, and so if you ask children what they want, they'll tell you. Yeah. And, and, and so it's important that we give our children a seat at the table because this is their city too. Justin, uh, the debate this week was um, sponsored in part by the Assembly for the Arts. Mm-hmm. And um, they've asked, you know, it's obviously important to Assembly that, um, that the arts are kind of on the agenda as a, as a real like tool for the public and a, and a piece of the public dialogue. This got some airtime during the debate, but not, not a ton. Um, we have public funding for the arts in Cuyahoga County, but we don't have a really strong voice for the arts in City Hall. No, no. Um, I'm really excited to see the work that the Assembly is doing. Uh, they brought in some great leadership uh, in, in town, a uh, native limiter to run that effort. And um, I stopped by the, 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 the font uh, kickoff party as well uh, last week. And uh, we just have an amazing arts infrastructure that we've truly yet to I think maximizes the city. Uh, that's why I've, I've called for having a cabinet level position in my administration around arts, culture, uh, and just the overall tourism experience in Cleveland. So we can really double down and maximize investments in the arts. Uh, I wanna have an artist in residence in my administration because our artists can really help me think about how to better design uh, city services uh, to meet the needs of our residents. I get excited about so so wait so an artist in residence isn't just like you give somebody some uh, an office they turn it into studio space and there's paint no no i know i mean think about how we design a flyer right for a senior citizen to make it more enticing to use a city service or you think about how we can better program tv 20 visually uh and from a storytelling perspective to make sure that people actually watch TV 20 and, and leverage that asset, particularly for our seniors that, that actually do watch TV 20. Um, you think about how we would design our website, right, to make it more user friendly uh, for folks that are coming to the city's website. Mm-hmm. And even the experience that you get when you walk inside City Hall, uh, our artists in our community can help us think about how to better design and activate City Hall as a public space for the people. Mm-hmm. Uh, to make it more enticing. And so uh, those are things I get excited about and even helping my administration design the right aesthetics we need to have in our parks that reflect the diversity and reflect the culture of our city. Um, another city hall question, and this comes from like the, the community of, of journalists and people who love journalism. Mm-hmm. Um, but the current administration has developed a reputation for um not being entirely transparent, slow walking public records requests um, and so forth. What's your commitment in that regard? We need um, to treat the press with the respect they deserve. Um, You shouldn't have to get approval from the mayor or my chief of communications to talk to the press. Um, I want to empower my my cabinet to have conversations about what's happening uh, in the city. Uh, whether that be holding weekly or biweekly press conferences um, and having a very efficient process to track uh, public's records request as well. Um, because again, um, a robust public media, I think is essential for a robust city and robust public engagement is critical to that. Question uh, for you from one of our listeners. I haven't heard much about uh, Mr. Bibb's ideas 
on creating accessible mental health services for residents. These individuals have health needs, but also economic and public safety needs. With the higher than the national average rates of depression and suicide, how do we serve these citizens? Well, um, one of the things I've talked extensively about throughout this campaign is um, adding uh, another option to 911 around mental health and trauma. So when you call 911, it'll be fire, police, EMS, and then mental health. Uh, and, you know, training my in other cities. Uh, I'm not sure exactly if that has. I know I believe I believe that some mayors have, have talked about this, mm-hmm. particularly with them um, creating a co-responder model of policing mm-hmm. where social workers and mental health professionals join cops for nonviolent 911 calls. Mm-hmm. But it's not just training. It's not just adding an, another option to 911, but training all of our staff and our dispatch center mm-hmm. on the right way to respond to mental health or trauma related calls. Um, and I believe we should have comprehensive training inside uh, city government for city hall employees around trauma informed care and trauma informed um, policy making. The other thing I would say is I don't believe we have a comprehensive mental health facility in the city of Cleveland. Um, I think that's a missing piece of this. And then currently right now, our prosecutor is not using our diversion center. The city prosecutor. City prosecutor is not using our our diversion center. Why is that? You tell me. I don't know. I I don't know. I don't know. Uh, But our other suburban uh, police departments are. RTA police is using it. And this is a dedicated facility to get people the substance abuse, drug abuse, and counseling and mental health counseling they need without sending them to prison. This should be a day one action for the next mayor, and it will be if I'm elected. Um, the You bring up the issues, a lot of issues that are connected to the diversion centers, part of the criminal justice reform efforts. Yeah. Uh, bail reform is another one. But the, the probably the most significant opportunity to institutionalize reform is with the new justice center. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a Cuyahoga County project at, in which the city of Cleveland and the next mayor will have a very significant voice. Um, talk about that. Talk about your priorities there. What you'd like to see happen? Um, I, I'm really concerned about our quickness to just build a new jail without talking about some structural changes we need to make in our criminal justice system in Cleveland. Um, as you know, um, many of uh, of our residents in Cleveland that we arrest now go to the county jail. Um, some have died due to the conditions in our county jail. Uh, and I'm gonna hold the next county executive, uh, whoever that may be accountable uh, to make sure we prioritize mental health and meeting the needs of our residents versus just building a new jail as a solution. That's why ending cash bail is so important. That's why having a dedicated mental health facility in the city of Cleveland is so important. Um, and that's why I, I believe putting more accountability on the executive to make sure that we have the right conditions in place and the right supports in place in those facilities is critical. I mean, it's a shame to see what's happening now with the former jail director now going to jail himself. It, it's just a, just a lack of leadership at large on this issue in, in, in our community. Um, also connected to this, this issue around mental health services and mm-hmm. criminal justice reform um, is the homelessness in Cleveland or the unhoused, the unsheltered, um, many of whom often get caught up 
in the criminal justice system. The Cleveland faces, this is another question from our audience, the shelter on Lakeside, which is run by Lutheran Metropolitan Ministries, cannot take everyone. Um, that is also just a men's shelter at 2100 Lakeside. What is your short-term plan to address the immediate needs of the homeless? And what's your long-term plan to reduce the population of unhoused people in general? Uh, I think short-term, we need to reevaluate um, the benefits criteria we have about who gets access to housing when they're homeless. Uh, I spent some time at 2100 uh, Lakeside and I discovered that in some cases, you got to prove that you've been chronically homeless for, I believe, nearly 18 months before you can get a housing voucher in some cases. To me, that makes no sense. And other models I've been looking at in um, Houston and San Diego, they have a housing first policy where they just get you in a home. We've had, we have housing first like programs here, very successful in, in Cleveland. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, they've provided somewhere around a thousand homes or whatever it is, whatever the number is still right yeah but but even in in, in, in at, when i was at the men's shelter many told me that they were there because they had to prove they were chronically homeless before they qualified for that voucher right mm -hmm. so i think in some cases um who who's eligible for what there's mm -hmm. a lot of disconnect and how mm -hmm. you can navigate those services in the models i've looked at in houston and san diego they, the city has a housing first homeless policy where they provide a housing voucher at the city level uh, and then they've started to fast track more permanent supportive housing inside their respective cities. Now, I know we've seen some good success with that in Cleveland, and we got to expand that where we can. The other model uh, is in San Antonio, where they have a dedicated campus mm -hmm. where our, their homeless population can get all the services they need so they can start to live a life of dignity and get their life back on track. And that's another option we should, we should take a look at long term. Um, given that the mayor is another question uh, from our audience, given that the mayor appoints the school board to the board to the Cleveland Metropolitan School District, but otherwise doesn't have direct control, how do you propose to build on the progress CMSD has made over the, the last decade? And since the board isn't elected, how will you ensure the community voice is heard mm -hmm. on schools in Cleveland? Yeah. Um, one of, the, one of the biggest frustrations I've heard from voters is just a lack of uh, parent voice around the table mm -hmm. um, and also student voice around the table in terms of public education. Mm -hmm. um, so I would want to prioritize um, parents uh, who have students in the district on the board. Um, and um, I would also say this, the, the Cleveland plan was a great step in the right direction. We have some good models, John Hay Science Academy, mm -hmm. um, Campus International, et cetera. Um, but these are all islands of excellence, but, and we're still trying to work to create a system of excellence. Mm -hmm. It'd be my job as mayor to find, you know, what are the barriers that we see to increase the pace of change more quickly? Mm -hmm. Am I frustrated with the pace of change? Yes, I am. Mm -hmm. Like many parents are. Mm -hmm. Have we made change? Yes. Um, but I talked about this earlier. There's still a lot of disconnects between what happens at City Hall and what's going on at CMSD. Right. In many cases last year, our schools were closed and then our rec centers weren't open and pools weren't open. And so City Hall must be further integrated, I believe, with what's happening with our children inside CMSD to really close these gaps long term, because it's not just a K through 12 problem anymore. It's a community wide problem.
How do you feel about the progress of Say Yes in addressing some of these needs? Um, listen, I think Say Yes is a great asset that we have. However, um, as mayor, I'm going to prioritize more straight to work options when kids graduate from CMSD uh, because you, you got to recognize that every kid's not going to go to college and that's OK. Mm -hmm. uh, and so how do we build a pathway where a child can graduate from CMSD and get an apprenticeship or internship at Cleveland Clinic or Eaton? Mm -hmm. And maybe they go to school part time yeah. um, or they enter that career immediately when they graduate from CMSD with several credentials. And I know uh, that leaders inside the district and leaders from our foundation community are working on programs like that. And those are the kind of innovations I want to explore and double down on if elected mayor. Well, say yes is the, you know, the, the, the sort of headline of say yes is around the college scholarships. But as you yeah. know, the bulk of the, of the program is actually providing wraparound services and, yeah. and coordination of, of care where it's needed and really like, you know, equipping schools to assist and support families where whatever their needs are, mm -hmm. you know, whether it's out of school time programming or a referral for some sort of other social work need or, you know, how's connection to legal aid for to resolve a housing mm -hmm. dispute or something like that. Do you see the scaling of those programs happening enough happening? Like, what will you do to ensure that that we get to that we get to scale across the whole district? Well, I think COVID. Um, probably slowed down the, the pace and progress around scaling that. Um, and I would want to invest in scaling in what works uh, as soon as I possibly could as mayor. Um, you know, there's a, a great model program I've spent some time with in, in Slavic Village, the P16 project with the third federal foundation I've invested in. That's a great model. You have Open Doors Academy as another great model. Um, and so I, I would want to take a look at those two. Yeah. Full disclosure, my wife runs. Open oh, doors sorry. No, no. Hey, hey, hey. Like, yay. Yeah, mention that. Yeah. yeah. Um, the another question um, unrelated to what we've just been talking about um, has to do with your your filings with the Ohio Elections Com uh, Ethics Commission. Yeah. Um, there were some uh, some amendments or, yeah. or, you know, more information was required. Um, can you explain what happened and Absolutely. how you got it wrong in the beginning? How yeah. Yeah. Listen, um, honest mistake. I was on the board of RTA for nearly three years. Um, I filled out the form wrong. When I got word of that mistake, uh, I updated it immediately and actually submitted more information that was required. And I did that to show folks in the city that I want to be a transparent mayor because I have nothing to hide. Okay. Um, while we're on that topic, there's a the question regarding your background has come up a few times about the number of meetings that you missed when you were mm -hmm. uh, on the RTA board or the number of meetings you and the number of meetings you missed when you were on the Charter Review Commission. Um, can you address those concerns? Yeah. Um, you know, during my time on the Charter Review Commission and during my time uh, when I was on the board of RTA, um, I did extensive travel uh, as a business leader at Gallup. And when I was at Key Bank, I had some very important required meetings to attend um, at Key. And uh, unfortunately, I couldn't make every meeting. Uh, but uh, despite the fact that I wasn't able to meet every, come, come to every meeting, I still made a big impact, particularly on the board of RTA in terms of the work we did to really modernize that agency with more technology and innovation to improve the rider experience. You were appointed to the board of RTA um, because you applied for that position. Is that correct? Yeah, I was encouraged to apply by the county executive. That's correct. And um, the, the ways in which those commission appointments 
are, uh, are made is not an entirely transparent process. Um, and it's hard to know what's available, why anybody might want to serve on, say, the, the boxing commission or whatever else is. And there yeah. are uh, like dozens and dozens of these commissions that um, and they're actually like positions that that come with a stipend with actual money for your time uh, of, of service. What, what will you do to ensure that those are transparent and that you actually audit like the the commissions and see if they actually need to exist? Yeah. I'm sure yeah. there's got to be some that don't that no longer are needed. Well, um, uh, the city of Minneapolis does a really good job with this where they actually do an audit, I believe, every other year of not just city hall staff, but every born commission to make sure it reflects the diversity and of the community. And uh, that's something I tend to do if elected mayor. We should be vocalizing what boards and commission uh, appointments are available online, advertising them with community organizations and grassroots organizations as well, and make sure they truly reflect what our city looks like. I mean, um, I was appointed to the board of Tri-C at the uh, ripe young age of 23. Um, and, um, you know, I think board service is a great opportunity to understand how government works, understand how nonprofits work, and it gives you the ability to make an impact uh, uh, in a very substantial way. Another question and a, a reminder, if you do have a question for Justin Bibb, and as you know, if you're watching this, he's running for mayor, he wants your vote. Um, you can text your question to 330-541-5794 or tweet it at the City Club and we'll try to work it into these final minutes of the program. The Willow Avenue Bridge has been in the news over the past few years. We have this great new trail to Wendy Park with a bridge, a brand new bridge there, but there's a bottleneck to get to the trail with the failing Willow Avenue Bridge. This is a very specific question, but this is what happens at City Club events. You sometimes get very yeah. specific questions. Yeah. Thousands of trucks go over that uh, and they cause, and for years have caused respiratory issues for low-income residents in the CMHA facility there, the Cuyahoga Metro Housing Association Authority facility there at Lakeview Terraces. Um, the city has not been entirely transparent about how to re replace the Willow Avenue Bridge in a way that diminishes the environmental justice concerns of Lakeview residents. What is your plan there? Yeah. Uh, from my recollection, um, Councilman Zone at the time and Councilman McCormick, uh, I think, gave the city a solid proposal about how we can divert that that traffic that was going across that bridge that would uh, allow it for to have higher air quality versus what we see now. And uh, the city kind of got in the way of that. Right. And so I would try to work with Councilman McCormick to make sure we have the right policy in place to remediate that long term. In terms of um, I mean, this brings up a series of kind of environmental justice and, yeah. and and public engagement kinds of things where you have two different sort of points of view, at least two different points of view or two different kinds of stakeholders, residents. And in the, in the case of this, the thing that hasn't been mentioned is the Ontario Stone, really important historic business yeah. in, in the flats um, that has uh, that is, you know, provides a certain amount of tax revenue to the city, no doubt, and is a is an important you know piece of the fabric there that the what uh, what our friend Chris Ronane might refer to as the messy urban vitality yeah. of that neighborhood. Yeah. Um, how do you manage all of that if you've got a, if you've got one you know one constituent of business uh, against a a, a a group of residents and you've talked a lot about elevating activist voice and resident voice but um, you know residents also need jobs. Yeah. What's good for the environment should be good for business. And um, that's how I'll make decisions. Uh, 
uh, in the city as mayor. Um, you know, I've, I've talked a lot about Cleveland Public Power and the fact that, you know, um, we're getting our power from the third largest carbon emitter in this country. And because of that, Cleveland is directly undermining our ability as a nation to achieve the Paris climate goals. Thank you for bringing that up. You're talking about right. the Amp Ohio. Uh, yeah, today. it's crazy. And, and I don't know about you, but who, who enters a 50 year contract? <laughs> I mean, um, and the city of Cleveland. Yeah, I guess so. And, you know, they, they bankrolled a new plant based on that contract. And now uh, our residents are paying two to three times the market rate for electricity. And uh, we haven't had any real accountability from this council leadership or mayor to hold them accountable. No hearings on this issue um, as of recently. And uh, folks want change in terms of Cleveland Public Power. And I believe our long term opportunity in Cleveland to be not just a national leader, but a global leader in climate justice and the green jobs of the future. It starts with turning around CPP, modernizing an asset for the green jobs of, of the future and making Cleveland a national model on what leveraging the, the green economy can look like. If you're in the contract, though, I mean, you're going to inherit that contract if you become mayor. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. So it's like saying I want to renegotiate the contract is sort of a really easy thing to say. It's hard to do. I get, don't get me wrong. It's hard to do. Um, that's why who I select as my law director will be uh, one of my most important hires. I've already talked to several leaders from our foundation uh, community about uh, getting their support as well on uh, this issue. And other leaders uh, in Columbus have also reached out about the importance of Cleveland going to fight on this issue as well. And so I'm going to use every arsenal in my toolkit and I'm going to need the support of the people to uh, take the fight to AMP. And I'm looking forward to the fight. It's not a fight I would look forward to, but um, <laughs> I'm a glutton for punishment. As they say. That's why I'm running for mayor, I guess. Huh? Um, with $20 million in uh, American Rescue Plan Act funds allocated to bridge the digital divide in Cleveland, this is an allocation recently made by city council. Um, would you look to, into partnering up with Cuyahoga County, who already has a plan in place to not only make Cleveland a more connected city, but the county and areas in the county that similar to Cleveland are, you know, some of the worst connected places in the nation. This is why uh, many members of council were so upset a couple of weeks ago uh, with the fact that um, we're rushing all these decisions without council having a real say and, while, and without the people having a real say. Um, now, am I excited that we allocated this money to address digital divide? Absolutely. But with no public input, that makes me concerned. Um, and I want to applaud the work of, of the CIO at the county uh, around uh, doing a countywide RFP. And the city should be, I think, a key partner in making sure we can leverage that, that knowledge and information to get this right, not just for the city, but for the whole region. Mm -hmm. um what is your opinion about city council members appointing successors prior to a new term? Well, um, I'm not running for city council, but I, I would say that it is past time to look at some ways to modernize our charter to address that issue, as well as, you know, term limits. Um, you know, when I announced my campaign for mayor, I said this does not belong to one man or one woman. It belongs to the people of Cleveland. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think... Um, having a hard conversation about what the future of our charter should look like when it comes to council, when it comes to the mayor's office, we give people more confidence that democracy is working for them. Mm -hmm. Justin, what's on your calendar for the rest of the week? More forms. Where, where can people find you? More forms, 
uh, more meet and greets. And uh, the best thing I like to do as a candidate for office is knock on doors. So I'm knocking on some doors uh, this weekend. I'm looking forward to it. All right. Justin Bibb is one of two candidates running to become your next mayor in the city of Cleveland. And um, Justin, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you, Dan. Talk soon, my friend. Thanks for having right. me. Good luck to you. Thank you so much. I want to thank all of you for joining us for our virtual forum today with mayoral candidate Justin Bibb. Our community partner is the Western Reserve chapter of the Lynx Incorporated. And we thank you so much for your engagement today and for helping us get the word out. All of our virtual forums are presented for free thanks to generous support from Bank of America, PNC, and the Northeast Ohio Regional Sewer District. You can join them in supporting our mission by making a contribution online or becoming a member or texting the word donate to 216-616-CLUB. That's 216-616-2582. And follow a few easy steps to make your donation. Thank you in advance for that. We'll be continuing our conversations with Cleveland mayoral candidates tomorrow, October 14th, with Council President Kevin Kelly. Be sure to watch us. Uh, join us here at noon, right here at cityclub.org. And if you missed our debate uh, on Monday night, you can catch it on our website, cityclub.org as well. You're also invited to join us on Friday, October 15th for a forum presented in collaboration with Velocity. This is a conversation about league, about the NBA and the WNBA and their diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts, which are leading in professional sports. We'll be welcoming Kevin Clayton, who's vice president of DE&I uh, Diversity, Inclusion, and Engagement with the Cleveland Cavaliers, or Stewart, chief people and inclusion officer at the NBA, and Bonnie Thurston, director for WNBA player programs. Tickets are still available, but they're going fast. That brings us to the end of our forum today. Thank you all so much for being a part of it. Thank you, Justin. Our forum is now adjourned. <laughs>